And with that, we are live here on KZSU 90.1 FM. My name is Jacob Nidig, joined in studio by my co-host, Zach Safran, for your weekly rendition of The Sports Zoo. And another week where sports are in full swing, Stanford men's basketball kicks off their season opener with a win against CSUN. Stanford football team gets a huge win in Pullman, Washington in what turned out to be a really boring and ugly game that Stanford came out on top. And then you have volleyball getting a ranked top 25 win. So sports are in full swing here on the farm. And, you know, unfortunately, some sports are coming to an end, namely Zach and I's intramural team took a tough loss yesterday and got bounced from the playoffs. But it's still so much sports happening all throughout the farm here. Zach, what do we want to start out first with? Do you want to talk about the win in Pullman? Do we want to do a little basketball? How are you feeling today? Um, You know, uh, for those of you that have kept up with the uh, saga the last few weeks, um, you know I've been battling this wrist injury, so I was bummed to miss our playoff game yesterday. Jacob holding it down against a tough opponent. Uh, like he said, unfortunately, season comes to a loss. I was at the hospital amidst a wrist surgery. So if we're talking about pain, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not doing too hot today, Jacob. I, yeah. I will admit. But if we're talking about Stanford sports, oh, my gosh. One of the better weeks in Stanford sports in recent memory. Um, how are we feeling? Why don't we go ahead and dive into maybe the biggest surprise since it's the fall. You know we love to touch up on our football Stanford, like you said, a sluggish victory in Pullman. Their first win up there in who knows how long. I I, I cannot even remember like even a Christian McCaffrey-led team getting a win up there. Um, I would love to give myself more credit than I deserve because I, <laughs> I last week, you know, when we were talking about um, predictions, I was like, I just have this odd feeling things are going to go well. I still predicted Washington State to win, so this Stanford football team really surprising me um, week after week. I mean, that showing after holding it down against a top-five Washington team, th- this is definitely a team worth talking about right about now. No, absolutely. It feels like the team has really turned the corner in a lot of ways. I mean, looking at the season as a body of work, the, the downfall or the lowest point to me undoubtedly has to be the loss to Sacramento State and that is was amidst a four game losing streak but then you you know you beat Colorado again and you feel like you have some momentum and then you have a, a really tough loss against UCLA but now in back-to-back weeks have put up really strong performances one of which couldn't quite pull out the victory but going into Pullman Washington and, and winning in those conditions is no small feat I mean Unfortunately, it feels like the teams that we beat still are are reeling. Colorado was reeling. Mm -hmm. Washington State, I think this was their fifth loss in a row, I believe. So, you know, we're not beating great teams, but we are beating teams that we should be beating year in and year out. And, you know, the way the season has gone, I'll, I'll take a win against Washington State, no matter what that looks like, no matter how they're doing, and no matter how it comes, whether it has to come in one of the worst offensive games I, that has really just been on television in what feels like a while. 
gosh, it felt like uh, they might as well may as well have had leather helmets on with the the style of football we saw. I mean, when was the last time you saw not just a quarterback? Well, I should say not just a backup quarterback, but any quarterback putting up 20 rushing attempts. I mean, Justin Lamson leading the charge uh, in the trenches, despite being backup quarterback, 20, 20 rushes. Some of my fantasy football starting running backs don't get that many touches, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that that was, you know, a newfound wrinkle that I don't know if many <laughs> predicted, but, I mean, Justin Lamson coming, stepping up, and contributing both, I mean, obviously in the run game, we went to him so many times, but his one pass, the 27-yarder, was also huge. I think that that was on the reverse, uh, on the one touchdown scoring drive we had. I don't quite understand it. It feels like there's got to be a running back on the roster that, you know, is better suited to handle 20 touches, especially because if he gets hurt and then... Daniels gets hurt, then you're really in a tough spot. But you know, maybe Troy Taylor. Troy Taylor <laughs> knows something that we don't, I guess, because giving the ball 20 times to your backup quarterback <laughs> requires a lot of deliberate strategy that he obviously knew about and decided to to do. Ah, it's just it is it's so puzzling because we have the talent. We've talked about it time and time again. What's up with EJ Smith? Why is he not getting the touches? But even if you look past him, I mean, Casey Filkins has proved time and time again that he can be the guy either as a third down back or a three down back. You know, put him out there every time. But, hey, I, I guess a win is a win, right? I guess. I mean, I, I mean, maybe Troy Taylor was just putting it in Washington State's face for the fact that they put up .2 yards per rush. I mean, 24 attempts, only 46 yards to show for it. He was just saying, "How about you guys can't run the ball? How about my backup quarterback does a better job than you?" Yeah, no, and that I think was something that is a takeaway, no matter how the game ended, which is our defensive performance. Our defense came to play. I mean, Nakia Watson, you know, the leading rusher for Washington, also went down. He had two. He was their leading rusher and went went down after two carries. But Cam Ward still only averaged six yards per throw. They, as a whole, had such little uh, success running the ball. And point-wise, I mean, they had seven points. We Like, our defense came to play against the Washington State Cougars. I, I again, I'm, I'm very surprised. I'm very proud of this team, but I just cannot help but question, man, was it us? Getting the win, or was it Washington State handing us the loss? I mean, if we're going to be real critical here, like you said, sure, this was a Cougars team that was ranked, what, five weeks ago? Yeah. 13th in the top 25 poll, now five straight losses. And we we take a look at all of our victories, really. I mean, even the close loss against Washington. Washington was coming off a terrible performance against Arizona State. Colorado coming off multiple losses in a row, and then Hawaii is Hawaii. I'm just so perplexed how to analyze these performances, especially when it's it's a slugfest like that, ten to seven. Yeah, I am so ecstatic with the win, but I think if we look at the season from start from top to bottom, this win is similar to the Colorado win, where there's 
it's not a win you really want to put a ton of good faith in. Yeah, it's it's nice to just win it all with the way the season has gone. But Washington State is not the team people thought during during October. And we are still three and six. I think I think this is a win that suggests what could be in the future for the program, which is a stout defense, um, some creativity on offense, hopefully better than than just ten points. But yeah, I, I don't know. It is somewhat tough not to think about the wins that we have, mm-hmm. uh, just because a win at this point feels like a miracle at all. Every every time, every time. I mean, uh, when we when we had the win, I I don't know if it was you that told me or I told you. Um, we were seeing we saw each other that Saturday night, and it was just like no way, no way. Stanford just went up to Poland, Washington, and won that game. But like you said, I mean. Perhaps indicative of things to come. What I'm trying to figure out is this is not the Troy Taylor team that came as advertised. You know, I'm, we're thinking of that hybrid flex spread offense, putting up ten points, and we're thinking of a stout defense putting up one of the nation's previously best offenses to 57 yards and five first downs and a half. Is this more so a product of coaching was this the players finally showing out making a decision all right you know what we know we're capable of something why don't we put it all out there what do you think it was ultimately this time around that is a fantastic question I think this win is a little bit weird in a lot of ways because I mean one Pullman is just kind of a bit odd also the weather was a little bit it was kind of just like it was kind of a nasty night. Um, I think, I don't know, it's tough to say because, yeah, with Troy Taylor, you expect you're putting up 40 points. You're probably going to give up 20, but hopefully your offense can outscore them. And I think that, to me, is why this win is somewhat exciting because it does show that he can potentially put together a defense that stops a high-powered offense. I think another interesting thing is that this was really a step back for Ashton Daniels in a lot of ways. He's someone that we've praised the last few weeks. As he's gotten better, the team has ultimately gotten better, but he completed less than 50% of his passes for 115 yards, no touchdowns, and he threw an interception. So I think this is a bit of an anomaly for both sides of the ball. Hopefully the offense can turn it around and the defense stays playing this way, but I, I would, you know, wouldn't put too much stock into these style of games because these are not the type of games that Troy Taylor's notorious for, for getting into. Well, then I am curious to hear your thoughts, Jacob. What is to come next? We have a Saturday matchup with number 16 Oregon State who lost to the Cougars earlier this season, 38-35. to 35. Perplexing because this is a Beavers team that beat Utah 21 to 7 and Utah, you know, beat USC, has consistently shown up time and time again without Cam Rising. I am completely uncertain of what to make of this next matchup. Yeah, you know, I would love to be wrong, but I don't have a ton of faith in this. I think I think Oregon State's offense is really good. Mm-hmm. Um DJ Ugalala Lele, the transfer from Clemson, 
former number one overall pick. He has he's not gonna win the Heisman, I think. He's not gonna be the next Trevor Lawrence anymore, but eighteen touchdowns, four interceptions on the year, over two thousand yards already. They have a really great running back um that is likely gonna pass a thousand mark in this game. Damian Martinez, he's he's averaging over six yards a carry. I just we are not as good as Oregon State physically or schematically. That's not to say we can't win, but I would be I don't know, this to me feels more like a game that could end in a blowout than with an upset. Yeah, they they might run the ball down our throats. They have almost 190 rushing yards per game. Could, could we get a moment of praise by the way for you perfecting DJ's last name? Yeah. That was if you if you guys are listening, feel free to call in and, and applaud this man. That was incredible. That- <laughs> yeah, I mean, and what he's done this year has been I mean, way more impressive than my pronunciation to <laughs> Transfer from being top of the world at Clemson to come into Oregon State, where I think basically everybody was like, "What is he doing here?" You you, you get beat out by Cade Klubnik, who's now uh, at the helm for Clemson, who's five and four in the year, and you know last year DJ doesn't have a great year, but this year has done a lot of really impressive things. His stats look good, but also just the comfort in the scheme mm-hmm. looks good. Uh, completing 60% of his passes. He is putting the ball on his receivers and he's keeping it away from opposing defenses. And it's doing just enough to allow the run game to take over, which I think is really where Oregon State is strong offensively is how they're able to manage the ground attack. Yeah, that 18-4 that to 4 touchdown interception ratio, definitely indicative of, of someone who's comfortable so if Stanford has any chance, that front seven, hopefully led by David Bailey, has to really show up. Um, what I'm most worried about is I, th- I feel like Stanford has demonstrated a, a nice tendency to bend, not break. Um, but if this Oregon State team gets within the 20, I mean, these red zone stats by the Beavers are outrageous. 31 or 32 trips to the red zone, 31 scores. Jeez. 32 trips to the red zone, like I said, 25 of those with touchdowns. So once this team gets into our territory, it is almost an automatic score of of some magnitude, whether it's a field goal, a touchdown, whatever it might be. So this team has to bring the pressure, make DJ uncomfortable, and keep them on their own side because... Um, like we said, this offense in a bit of a funk. Ashton Daniels hopefully going to continue that progress and not take a step back with a, a hint of regression we saw last game and and keep Oregon State's offense off the field. I mean, maybe that's the moral of the story. Yeah, I mean, that, that has to be the recipe. The other thing is Oregon State has been on the road. They're starting a two-game uh, homestand, I should say. So they have Stanford at home, and they have one more next week. That's going to play against Stanford you never want to play a team that is is coming back after an away game. Everything is just easier. But Oregon State also has a lot to play for. Um, I mean, way more than Stanford, but more than the average team across the country does. They're seven and two in the year, top fifteen in the country. But they're also playing, trying to play their way into uh, being one of the top teams at the end of the year for the Pac-12 championship. 
They're currently four and two, and so they've got Washington, who's undefeated. Oregon's five and one. USC is still five and two, but there's a lot of football to be played nationally and in the Pac-12. And Oregon State is trying to take care of their business. So whenever they have to play against one of those other teams, it they can, uh, you know, get that head-to-head advantage and potentially end up in the Pac-12 championship game and maybe even a great bowl game. Hey, man, are we forgetting Stanford still has bowl eligibility? I said it last chances. week. I know. We, <laughs> we, there is still hope for for, for a bowl game. Um, you know, I had predicted we would we would actually make a bowl at the beginning of the year, which I think most people had us in the three to four win range column. Four wins. If we have four wins this year, I think that was a, a pretty reasonable, reasonable expectation for a lot of people based off of our roster yet the way it happened feels pretty insulting to call the season a success how does four wins look and that's assuming we we go one and three in our last games I was just going to give us you know I don't know if we beat Notre Dame or Oregon State Cal I think could be a Mm toss-up let's say we we beat we go one and two in our last three games four wins Kind of on expectations for many people happens in a really ugly way. Where does four wins put you at in terms of the season? I mean, like you said, in expectation, we didn't expect to make a bowl game under Troy Taylor's first uh, season at the helm, but we did expect some semblance of progress. Not to say progress um, in on-the-field product, but progress in developing that culture, establishing the the groundwork for what's to come in the years um, ahead. And four wins sets this team up well to grow, expand, say that they've had those upset victories that they can learn from, but also have dealt with those terrible, miserable losses to really propel them forward. Have some fight, have some grit, have some inspiration over the season. No game you ever play in, you want to get embarrassed. And and this team have, will have seen it all, really, moving forward. I think that will serve them well. So four wins... Again, you know, we're right where we thought we'd be. And, and we were excited by the hiring of Troy Taylor. So I think that this is a, a step in the right direction. Yeah, no, absolutely. Our statistician in studio has just informed me that after Stanford, Oregon State plays home against Washington and then travels to Eugene for Oregon. So oh. if Oregon State wins out, they would play in the Pac-12 championship. They control their own destiny. So th- this in some ways, could be a game that you think maybe the du- the Beavers overlook us with two top 10 matchups following that, but I don't know. I, I get the feeling that they're going to be locked in because they know that, that if they lose at any point, they're they're out of the contention. What does Stanford have to fight for in this upcoming game, in your opinion? I feel like you know last week there was some motivation, really showed out against Washington, proved, hey, maybe we can hang around, showed up in Pullman, come up with the win, but... At this stage of the season, what is there to fight for in Corvallis? Yeah, I, I think this is a game that really shows what kind of culture Troy Taylor is building because there is nothing to play for. I mean, maybe we make a bowl game, but realistically we're not. But the thing is you're playing for pride mm-hmm. and you're playing to develop your sense of identity and your skill set as players that's not a lot for, you know, a lot of these people winning and winning for a reason is what motivates a lot of people. And so I think this team has to, I mean, I think it's a challenge that the coaching staff 
really faces, which is how do you motivate your team in a year like this, in a game like this? against You're going to be... You're the inferior team away. You don't really have much left to play for. I think it's on the coaching staff to fire the team up because, yeah, there isn't a lot to play for. Um, and so, to me... I, I think if this team comes out fired and ready to play, that, that shows that the coaching staff is moving us towards a cultural direction that is going to serve us well in years to come. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you and I are a bit on the consensus that this team goes 1-2 and two over the next three to close out the season. Oregon State, Cal, Notre Dame, the obvious choice here for that one win would be big game, which leads me to believe, right, Oregon State will walk away victorious. Um should we just dive into predictions? Then? Yeah, let's let's jump yeah. in. Yeah, um, I, if if I may ask you to do the honors first. Yeah, you know I think Oregon State runs the ball against us really well. I think that does shorten the game a little bit. Um, but I don't have a lot of a hope in our offense right now. I mean, our main offense has been Ashton Daniels throwing the ball and Alec Aomenor catching it. He was relatively quiet for the game. Um, so I do think they bounce back a little bit, but it's just not in any way comparable. I think final score, I'm going to go with Oregon State. Oregon State 41, mm-hmm. Stanford 20. Okay. 41 to 20. 41 to 20. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I was really impressed by Stanford's defensive showing last week. Um, but... It hadn't been in, since September that they held a team to less than 42 points. So definitely see this this Oregon State offense doing some more. I don't think they quite break that 40 mark. I still think that there's a little bit of fight. I think we might see a 34-17 to 17 victory here. Um, I, I, I honestly don't have a lot of confidence that the Stanford team even scored 17 points, to be quite frank. But, um, you know, I think for you and I both, the greater excitement is what's to come two games from now. Obviously, big game, talk of the town every time it comes around for good reason. Um, and we saw, we both seem pretty bullish on Stanford's chances there, which I can't say was the case earlier in the year. Um, is is the likelihood of a Stanford victory in big game, has that shot up oh, in absolutely. recent weeks? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um I think the energy we're playing with is at a at a real high. And also I think that's a game where the football team just like we are is smart enough to know that there's not a lot to play for this season. That game there is everything to play for. That's our mm-hmm. equivalent of a bowl game. It's our it's our only rival essentially. They'll be playing with energy that you would hope for them to play with every game, but obviously is tough to muster. So I think they come out really invigorated against Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And I also think um, by that point with a few wins under your belt, a close game against Washington, you know, you have a little bit more confidence in what's happening. You have a better relationship on the field with players. And so I think the way that Stanford has, you know, kind of slowly turned the ship around a little bit and has, is trending positive is a, a reason why we potentially um, have increased our optimism here in the studio. No, I, I share the same sentiment. I mean, like you said, increased optimism across the board. 
really liking what I'm seeing. And it's a rivalry game. You never know what's going to happen. But I, I will say my one concern is this Cal team took USC to, to a 49-50 to game that went really the whole distance. Does, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, much more next week. Um, does that worry you at all? Yeah, this this Cal team is extremely underrated. Um, you know, I am personally under the idea that in rivalry games, you kind of throw it all out the window and you just got to see who shows up. But head-to-head, which team has put a better product on the field? Stanford is ahead in the, in the Pac-12 standings. Cal's only won one game in conference. Stanford has won two, so we've doubled their wins. But... We're both three and six, yet the way we're three and six has been quite different. Cal has put pretty good products on the field. Their losses in the offseason, you know, kind of lend itself into a more questioning area, especially because their offense did put up really good numbers in a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Against Washington, they put up 32. Against Oregon State, they put up 40. I mean, you see, USC doesn't have a a defense, but I don't know. I think Cal is probably a slightly more talented three and six team, but I do think the margin is close enough that in a rivalry game you, you can kind of you you can throw it out and and just see what happens. Definitely. Well, I know you and I will be talking a whole lot about big game next week, um, but Oregon State in the meantime, one game at a time, um, and a whole lot going on elsewhere on the farm as well, isn't that right? Absolutely. I mean, huge week for the basketball programs. I, I think two teams that we've been really excited to, to talk about, especially on the men's side, um, which is trending upwards in a lot of ways, given the commitment and signing of the two five stars. feels like we've been waiting to talk about Andre Stoyakovic and Kanan Carlisle for years now. And so to finally... See, one of them on the floor was huge. Kane and Carlisle didn't get to play, but was on the bench. Stoyakovich came off the bench, uh, had a rough day shooting. Before we jump into the score as a whole, what did you see from Stoyakovich? Or actually, you know what? Let's let's talk about the game as a whole, and then we can mm-hmm. we can dive in. Mm-hmm. You're playing. You know, we had said last week. I said Stanford should win the first seven games. Seven. First seven. I think it was seven, yeah. Before you get to the, the tournament against uh Arkansas. Or any games. It was the it was the four and then ignore the tournament, but then the three yeah. after you should yep, win. Yep, yep. What did you see in the home opener? I mean, just gut reaction for sure was there's no way we're this close with Cal State Northridge right now. There's no way. I we were down twenty one to thirteen early on. Um I just kept asking myself, are we this bad or is Northridge that good? Now now, no disrespect to Northridge. Maybe not historically a great program, but they're doing a phenomenal job over there. They had eleven newcomers on this team. That's tough to deal with and even tougher to to show out the way they did. You could see the talent. Eight transfers eight transfers playing too is crazy with three freshmen um but on our side like a lot of reason to be excited like you said the two five stars people can, coming back whether it's Spencer Jones Michael Jones Brandon Angel um a lot of excitement Maxime Reno 
But again, I just kept asking, why are we so close? And I, I think that what we saw was <laughs> more of the same, really. We have the talent, Jacob. But turnover after turnover, five turnovers in the first four and a half minutes. We course corrected, which was great. Which is ultimately why we won, but could not buy a jumper, okay? Stagnating on offense, could not. No one's looking to penetrate except for the new guys. And then I just couldn't help but wonder how long until the new guys stop penetrating, you know? But again, we'll dive deeper into a player-by-player analysis. <sighs> that all being said, a win's a win. Yeah, that, I mean, that, <laughs> that begs the question. So... You know, you end up pulling away late. How do you see this game? Is it a similar thing with football where, you know, a win is a win no matter what way? Or is this a really worrying sign where, yeah, we won, but we should we should be winning by 30 against this team? I definitely thought it would be maybe not a huge blowout, but a comfortable win. Um, remind me, what was your question? Oh, is, is this... Like, how do you see this? How do you kind of um, analyze this win? Yes, we won. Yeah. Is that, okay, you know, this team, maybe in years past, they find a way to lose this game. Or is this, you know what, this team struggled, they gritted out a win, that's good enough. How, how do you, I guess, evaluate the performance um, given that they won, but it was against a team that, right, you know. Right. Yeah, I think, I think, um, good and bad. Again, cause for concern. Cal State, Northridge, why is this close? I think the issues early on had to do with turnovers, offensive stagnation. A, a big question mark for me was why is Spencer Jones uh, going 0 for 4 from the field and only contributing 5 points? You need your big time players to step up. I don't care if it's against nobody. I don't care if it's against the middle school JV team across the street, okay? I want Spencer Jones stepping up in the way that he should be leading this team. Um, but, you know, even in the face of adversity, even in the face of unexpected adversity, that was a benefit. That was that was a great thing. We saw newcomer Jared Bynum really come into his own seven assists in a debut. We like to see that. We haven't really had the most reliable point guard, and he showed that veteran presence. No turnovers either. No turnovers. Huge. He reminds me of Talana Lapolo's debut last year, the freshman getting 10 assists, zero turnovers in her debut. You know, I love Michael O'Connell. I thought Issa was great. For, for what they did, but... <laughs> Sorry, I think yeah. I have something in my throat. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to uh, Long State Beach, Cal Long, State, yeah. Cal State, Long Beach, who knows? They're in the yellow. I know they're <laughs> yellow. <laughs> um, but Jared Bynum is is like the, the truest point guard I've seen, maybe even before Dejon Davis. Dejon Davis, so fun to watch, but not even the floor general that I think I see in Jared Bynum. So overall, a lot of strengths, but like I said, a Jared Haas team being a Jared Haas team, I think... We need to be wary of those turnovers, especially early on. We need to be more cognizant of the double teams coming down in the post. I think we had Brandon Angel, Maxime Raynaud going to the low post. Cal State Northridge would double. No one's cutting. No one's setting off ball screens. you got to utilize the advantages that you have and, and, and really capitalize. And I, I didn't see that. I saw a team willing out of victory because they're talented. They know how to fight through adversity. But I didn't see a team that who, if they faced adversity against another talented team and a great program, could will out a win themselves. No, absolutely. Another thing that I was somewhat surprised about was how we matched up physically. I thought our athleticism and lankiness and just general size was going to give us an advantage in most games this year. 
Uh, you know, you have Spencer Jones is, I think he's what listed at six six. You have Maxine Reynald, Max Murrow, even Brandon Angel six eight. Though in Stoyakovich at six six, it felt like we were going to be a really physically dominant team this whole year. And against Cal State Northridge, they matched up physically with us. In fact, they had a post player that was giving us absolute buckets. Jasmine Sangha, number twenty four. He, you know, he only played 19 minutes, but during that 19 minutes, he was five for eight and ended up with 11 points, but he was banging in the paint. Yeah. He was, wasn't that tall, but, you know, had some muscle on him, a little bit of size on the scale, you could say, and we had no one that could handle him. He would, it felt like he was having his way at will and that was something that was surprising to me was that we did not look the part physically um, against Cal State Northridge. Who, to me, it should look like you know a varsity team and a JV team where you're like, oh, wow, why are these teams even playing each other? Um, and, and yet we kind of got bodied a little bit by some of their players. Yeah, yeah. I think, like you said, we have those physical tools and we're just not we're not capitalizing on them. I mean, Maxime Reynaud, big shout out to him for securing those 15 rebounds, but... Outside of him and Brandon Angel, no one really stepping up on the glass. I thought Northridge is getting way too many second-chance opportunities. Nine offensive rebounds led to 10 second-chance points. That's just too many if you want to be you know, a competitive team in the Pac-12, especially considering this is Cal State Northridge we're talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. They ended up having 39 boards on the day. We have 42. To win the rebounding margin by three rebounds, against Cal State Northridge is completely unacceptable because that's also an effort thing too. Like mm-hmm. getting boards is about putting your your body on the line, being physical and being in position. Yeah, no one enjoys rebounding, but that's something you have to do and it seems like co- tied with that lack of, you know, the physical nature of our team or not the the physical the physicality is tied in with kind of the physical presence that we, we don't really have either one. Like we did not look any part physical um, against them either. Related is, is a huge part of that physicality. Like I said, is the will to get to the rim. This team does not have that instilled in their culture and it's reflected in poor shot selection. Really? You, you want to really get into the nitty gritty here. Cal state Northridge was really, really effective with their shot selection. 79 points, 58 came in the paint, which number one is way too high for a team that has Maxime Reynaud, a seven-footer. there to You're going up against Maxime Reynaud, right? Northridge is 58 points. Throw on 15 more from behind the arc. You're looking at only five, six points that were not a three-pointer in the paint. Then you go to Stanford, 88 points on the game, 38 in the paint. So we're talking about 50 out other points. Only 27 of them came from behind the arc. So, 23 points, long two-pointers, weird floaters. Time and time again, this offense just struggled to get anything going, and we would settle for terrible, terrible jumpers. That's something that I want Jared Hass's offense to evolve, to convince people to drive to the rim, dish out for better looks, stop settling for isolation crossover, long two-pointers, that's going to be a huge, huge difference maker this year. Absolutely. And I think we, you know, the shooting percentages 
somewhat corrected themselves. Namely, thinking about the three-point percentage, first half we were four for 18, 22% from three-point land. And I think the thing is we even, it started even worse. We started, I think, oh, for our first seven or eight, and then finally we made one. When it comes to shooting, you know, part of that is shot selection. Part of that is just our players' skills. Is this team going to be able to shoot the ball well this year? Uh, I I will say uncharacteristic shooting performance, in my opinion. Um, these guys are all capable, and, and sometimes when they're putting it up, it just felt like it wasn't going down. I mean, Michael Jones, for instance, he wasn't starting off hot, but ended the game 7-14, of 4-11 of 11 behind the arc. Um, even Benny Geeler, a guy I'd love to see get more touches, he only put up one shot. He's a guy that can really knock it down from behind the arc. Brandon Angel, too. I mean, he had a super efficient day, 6-7 of seven from the field. But these are guys that can convert and just, just weren't. And those games happen. But when that doesn't happen, you need to make up for it by willing your way to the rim, which just was not the case. Yeah, and so in terms of the breakdown of shots, how do you feel about that? For those of you that maybe didn't tune in, Spencer Jones, returning leading scorer, ended up having just five points on the day. He had four shots, which is, I mean, that was second tied for second lowest on the team. Reynaud has 19 shots, Michael Jones 14, Stoyakovich had 11. Where do you see, uh, or how do you think about the shot distribution amongst the players that saw action? I, I really like Reynaud being aggressive, putting those shots up, because he's going to be efficient no matter what. But yeah, Spencer Jones, that's unacceptable. Um, he's got to be putting up at least 12 to 15 shots per game. Okay, at least. Um, behind him, though, you know, I'd love to see Michael Jones keep shooting at that clip that he is. Brandon Angel, someone who's going to be a plug-and-play, um, put-points-on-the-board type of guy, so by all means, shoot away. After that, you know, I think it does get a little bit um, more dispersed. Max Merle, I know he can knock it down from deep, but probably not a guy unless he's really feeling it, touches that double-digit mark. Stojakovic putting up 11 shots, 2 of 11. I know we wanted to talk about this, so we can just dive in right here. I was actually, quite frankly, surprised um, and impressed, which seems backwards, okay? A debut, 2 of 11, 1 of 6 behind the arc, missed his only free throw, 5 points on the day, 2 turnovers. Um, but I really liked the aggression. I didn't even think he was going to see the court much this year. I thought Kanan Carlisle was going to outshine him early on, which maybe I know you didn't really agree with, and... Many others didn't as well, but I liked what I saw from, you know, Paige's son. I really liked the aggression, the creativity. Um, I want him to keep putting up that that, that many shots, in my opinion. I, I don't know if you disagree. Yeah, I, I was equally surprised. It feels like we've recruited highly touted players, and they get here and play extremely passive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andres had no passiveness in his game at all. He would get the ball attack his defender either go to the basket or was looking to shoot um so that was really refreshing Mm -hmm. i also thought the way his kind of game presence overall was really high to me it looked like he did get in his head a little bit because later on in the game he had uh, a three-pointer that was relatively open and instead of shooting it he dribbled in um so you kind of hate that he got in his head a little bit but i do agree that he seems to want the ball and he wants to score the ball, which it feels like is something that we haven't been able to say for a lot of our really talented players lately. 
I honestly think he eventually by the end of the year could play his way into a starting role over Michael Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know who plays better with other people or what his, you know, getting his conditioning look like up to speed from the high school game is. But I think that combination of Jones and Stoyakovic, whoever's starting, whoever's off the bench is going to be a really nice combo because they both possess the ability to attack their defender, shoot the ball well, and create offense off the dribble. Definitely. So I think the sentiment overall is Stojakovic. Maybe the efficiency wasn't there, but I like what we see. The, yeah. The baseline oh, is there. The, 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 he's laid the groundwork, and who knows? We might see him in the starting lineup sooner or later. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think another person I was really impressed with that you touched on was Jared Bynum. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you don't see a ton. Nothing super... Stands out on the stat sheet, 13 points, 7 assists. But I think the way he handled the game mm-hmm. gave me a confidence in his ability that I haven't really seen from our ball handlers in the past. He directed traffic. I would actually like to see him be a little bit more aggressive attacking the basket. Um, it felt like he he was looking to distribute more than just score, which um, I think plays more naturally into a skill set, but would still like to see him attack more. But at the end of the day, his ability to calm down the rest of our players, handle the ball with ease, and spread the ball around without turning it over is going to be huge down the line. So you can get those guys like Michael Jones, Spencer Jones, Stoyakovic, those looks behind the arc, and and he can set them up with that. Yeah, and I think he's exactly what we need in a point guard. You know, he's not going to... I mean, he has the potential to pop off for 30, but that's not what we need. You know, we just need someone to take care of the ball, get the offense set up, be trustworthy, Trusty and reliable, and that's something we've missed at that one guard for a long time. So really, really refreshing to see it now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, any players that you thought, I mean, besides Spencer Jones, any anything that stood out to you on the negative side that you maybe expected a little bit more or, or were just a little bit critical of? Um, I wouldn't say critical of, and I it really wasn't a negative. I just think I, I personally expected more was from Benny Geeler. Um, I know he has really put in the work this offseason and, and has a talent. I think it's a matter of getting those opportunities. Um, you know, with Issa and MOC in front of him last year, didn't see the core much, was also dealing with injuries. This time around, he's going to be the backup uh, point guard, at least until Kane and Carlisle is back, and that'll be an interesting dynamic to see who's playing what. Um I thought he'd look a little more comfortable out there. He looked a little timid at times. Um, you know, once he got cut off, wasn't seeing a counter move, wasn't seeing much aggression. He's a guy that I know can turn it on. Um, and I'm just curious if, if it'll happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's someone that doesn't come in with a lot of minutes. He played 11 in the opener. His In all of last season, he had under 60. So he's already looking at... He's played, I mean, basically... 15 to 20% of his minutes from last year, which is interesting. It seemed like he really brought a lot of energy, though. Mm-hmm. Like, he was excited to be out on the court. He, especially on the defensive end, was very invested in, you know, calling out his switches and making sure that he was staying in, in the right position. Um, and I think that you can't say that for every person on the Stanford team, that they're excited to play defense. Um, he's someone that you know, is going to have a sizable impact on the year until Kanan Carlisle comes back and has shown that he can shoot the ball well. I mean, only had seven attempts from behind the arc, but did shoot it 
but made three of those seven. Uh, if he can play defense, not turn the ball over, and knock down a three every once in a while, to me that that is more than exceeding what someone would would think from from the backup point guard for Stanford. Yeah, hundred percent. So interesting to think about what will happen when Kane and Carlisle comes back. Um, obviously, highly anticipated debut. Um, up next for the Cardinal is Sacramento State. They play this Friday. Um, no word on on Carlisle's debut is there as of now. Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, no, no word now. And it, it was a, you know, they had announced officially right before the, or whenever they made the final roster announcements that he would be out. So still looking uh, for an exact timeline as to what when he'll be he'll be ready to go. So. Like you said earlier, you expect four straight victories to start the season. Does that still hold true? Um, seeing that season debut now, you know, I, I wish I could say I was as confident in in doing that. Sac State, Santa Clara, Eastern Washington, again, all at home, all games we should win. I. I think we should be 4-0. Um, and, you know, I, in all honesty, don't know a ton about Sacramento State basketball. So maybe they're going to come in and they will win. They've already done that in football to us. <laughs> <laughs> but Stanford should not be losing to any of those, the remaining three teams, especially at home with the talent, the veteran presence that we have. I, I think it's very reasonable to expect that we are 4-0 to start the year. Totally, totally. I mean, Santa Clara, always kind of a gritty early season matchup, and I'll be curious to see how that goes as they've also graduated quite a few people. Again, this team, Stanford team has the talent and I feel like is putting the pieces together finally. So I, I foresee a 4-0 start, but um, that, that question mark around the Santa Clara game, we'll, we'll have to see what happens with that one next Tuesday. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sac State did drop the game against Nevada by a score of forty or seventy-seven to sixty-three. Uh, they were down by nine at halftime, and and Nevada really never let them come back in. Um, their leading scorer was Duncan Powell, six-eight sophomore that weighs two hundred forty pounds. So that could be. It looks like I would assume Brandon Angel will take him. That that he'll have his. Uh, hands full for Duncan Powell who looking at his <laughs> roster is making, it's making me scared in the, the studio putting the men in the in the men's basketball yeah. <laughs> um yeah I think here in our last 10 minutes Zach you know let's go ahead and talk about the in-season tournament in the NBA I know we had touched on that a few weeks ago we had we're really excited about the courts and the jerseys I'll just go ahead and start it off. The courts are so ugly to look at. Ugly. I do not like. I especially the uh, the courts where there's something down the middle. Like I don't know. What What are your thoughts on the in season tournament and how the courts looked in real time? Um, I we we touched up on like does the in season tournament kind of address the overall issue that it aims to solve, which was lack of regular season. Uh, significance so far with these games I for one do not feel much more invested in in these games you know they count as regular season games they just designate them as tournament games 
I, I think it's the same exact thing, okay? When when it comes down to the playoff bracket and the champions playing or whatever, sure, I, I bet you those will be more important and feel more important, but at this moment, I don't think we're solving the crux of the issue, unfortunately. Is there added excitement around the courts and the jerseys? Yeah, I think so. It it, it almost seems futuristic watching these 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 teams play on these courts does it matter no absolutely not is it fun like is there any harm also no so overall I feel like the tournament so far has not been a net negative by any means but again not really addressing the issue I'm not seeing much of the positive yet yeah no absolutely I agree I feel like the Twitter world was solely talking about the courts and the jerseys (laughs) Um, which to me I kind of use as a way to to judge what the average NBA fan is saying. I just had a hard time. Like it was just weird looking at the players on these courts where it's it's yeah. a red court, and they just I don't know. It was a little bit difficult for me to look at, and I was like, okay, we're doing we're doing a little bit too much here. I I, I could agree with that. Uh, it is kind of hurts the eyes to be to be quite frank. Um, but you know. At the end of the day, it's all about the money, isn't it? And uh, and extra jersey sales, why not? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, how do we feel? Warriors six and two on the year. Are they are they the real deal this year? Third place in the Western Conference. Big win against the Kings a few weeks ago. They've beaten the Rockets. They've beaten the Pelicans. Beat the Kings twice, actually. I should say. What? How are we feeling about the Warriors this year? I think tonight. In Denver will be our, uh, you know, real test or, or just kind of indicator of, of what's really going on. But yeah, so far, I'm loving the Chris Paul experiment. I think it's brought out the best in Steph. Okay, I think he's having an MVP caliber season. Maybe voting fatigue or just the fact that the expectations are sky high will prevent that from happening further down the season. But my God, this team is legit. All right, Steph Curry showing out. You know, even Clay getting game winners. I feel like the confidence is there, the enthusiasm is there. The only things I really see detracting them from this current trajectory they're on are injuries. Guys are old. Draymond's getting kicked in the nuts. <laughs> uh, Instead of being the one doing the kicking. For once, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's exciting, and obviously, you never, you never wish for injuries. Um, no matter who you're a fan of, but you know, I I really press that hard as as a Warriors fan. Um, this is a team that's definitely capable of Western Conference Finals at the minimum. Now, how they fare tonight against the Nuggets, how other teams' injuries and whatever stack up, that will kind of dictate how things flow. But I'm I'm loving it so far. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think it's still so early in the year. We've played, you know, eight games out of 82, not even 10 percent. Of the way there but it's it's fun and I think there's a lot of teams you know you look at the standings that people aren't really sure about the East you've got Celtics Sixers Bucks on top I think everyone makes that makes sense but you know the West besides the Nuggets at one you've got Mavericks Warriors Timberwolves Pelicans that I (laughs) I do not think people expected that I don't think people expected the Kings to be two and four the Suns to be three and four or the Lakers to be three and four so, you know, maybe those things normalize over the year, but Mavericks at six and one, Luca, Kyrie, maybe maybe that 
double point guard system finds a way to work itself out this year. Look, Luca has been having a heck of a season. I'm I I think I've been vocal about it before. I'm not a Luca fan. I hate the way he plays. I don't think it's a winning recipe. Definitely not in the playoffs. But hey, tip the hat to him because it it's working so far, I guess. Yeah, no, I uh I'm a huge fan of Luca, but I don't think it's it's a controversial take to say that building a, a successful team around him is essentially impossible the way that yeah. it, the the amount of ball that is required to give him the isolation it's absolutely it's not a recipe for building a championship team but uh, but a team that i think is is pretty championship built your very own celtics like you said top of the east 5 and 1 have you liked the new look celtics i mean Kristaps out there those trades are really working well for them is this a team that you see you know continuing their trajectory yeah i, I think the addition of Porzingis has done essentially everything that they've wanted to do. They wanted, you know, someone that can block shots like Robert Williams, but space the floor offensively. Kristaps mm-hmm. has done that. He he can stretch the defense a lot. It's still, it's. I think it's too early to say whether they're going to get over the hump of, you know, Eastern Conference Finals, maybe the Finals, I don't know. But I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic for the regular season. Mm-hmm. Postseason, it's, again, it's tough to predict so early, but I think the way that spacing has looked for the Celtics has been a really big positive whenever you think about the upgrade from, from Williams to Porzingis. Definitely, definitely. Well, with just a few minutes left on this week's Sports Zoo, um, we'll take a look around the farm. Starting off with uh, what's in the future, I suppose, before we take a look back tonight, Women's basketball making their official season debut. They had an exhibition against Dominican last week. Looked great. At one point on pace for 160 points. So the Haley Jones list Cardinal may not be off to as bad of a start tonight. They face Hawaii in Maples Pavilion. It's KZSU's very own Aaron Yee and Amsa Ali on the air at 7 p.m. on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. But a whole lot has gone on before then. Jacob, you want to take a take a little view oh, around the farm? Oh, absolutely, and we should have a more in-depth volleyball analysis later on in the quarter before they head gear up for their postseason run and, and head into the NCAA tournament, but they had a huge bounce-back win on Friday. Um, I was able to go and check it out. They dropped the first set against the number 9 Washington State, came back and won three sets in a row to, to win in four. Uh, you know, Stanford... At times, in, in the first and second set, looked a little shaky, but really found their footing in the end set, in the last two sets. Um, Elia Rubin, absolutely electric, 18 kills, 6 digs, 4 blocks. That team has a lot of questions because of their aspirations, which are undoubtedly a national championship, but got a huge win against a really good team. Definitely a team that we'll talk about much more later on in the year. Uh, but how about the women's soccer team? I believe they're number three in the country right now. Players popping off left and right. Shout out to Ryan Campbell, Pac-12 goalkeeper of the year. Um, they are going to continue on to uh, postseason play, so we wish them the best of luck as they start the uh, playoffs. Absolutely. And on the flip side of that, the men's soccer team just had a really nice victory over San Diego State. They had That was a 5 zero victories so they're now eight two and five on the year and they're currently in the hunt for the pac 12 title so a little bit of soccer to play still for that team but a lot of reason to be excited 
as we near into the to the final stretch of the year for them. Definitely. Um, with that, you know, I think do you have any any other shout outs that you're looking to give, Zach? I mean, tennis, sailing. We know what the deal is with these teams. It's Stanford. They are elite. They're gonna get the job done. Um, I guess I guess just keep doing what you're doing, y'all. Yeah. Before we do go, I want to give a huge shout out to fencing, actually, which this might be the first fencing reference we've ever had on the air, but they went to Northwestern, the Western Invitational, put off a huge upset. They upset the number five team in the country, the host team, with three fencers putting up a perfect record. Woo. Not only did they win, they doubled Northwestern 18-9. Domination. I don't actually know how fencing is scored, <laughs> but it feels like if you're dominating them, if you're doubling them, then you're dominating. Um, so a huge shout-out to the fencing team for doing their thing. So how about how about a little fencing for your Wednesday? Yeah. <laughs> With that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. It's been an honor to be your guest. Again, my name is Jacob Nidig here. With my co-host, Zach Safran for your weekly rendition of the Sports Zoo. Tune in next week at the same time. Stay late. Wear red. Go card.